Well, thank you to Kath and thank you to our musicians. If you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy and you'll find that on page 995 of the Church Bibles. Sunday nights for the first half of this term, we're studying 2 Timothy. These are the last written words of the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, who is the leader of the church in Ephesus. Paul is close to the end of his life and is impressing on Timothy the need for him, Timothy, to be a strong leader after Paul has gone. It is a letter about leadership, about succession, about the responsibilities that fall to every generation. And therein, it is a letter to all Christians describing what authentic Christian discipleship is like. It is a letter full of emotion. They are Paul's final written words to the church, to the generation of leaders after him, and to Timothy, his son in the faith in particular. It is emotional, but never sentimental. Paul has real concern for Timothy. That Timothy is feeling the strain and buckling, or might do, under the pressure of the false teaching around him in Ephesus. Paul senses a very real danger that Timothy will compromise. Now tonight, chapter 1 Verses 8 to 18, the title, Do Not Be Ashamed. Shame as a Christian. Before we read, let me give you three examples of this. Uh, the first one's from my own life. I've never forgotten this. I was 15. Um, I had been selected to play for some rugby team and rightly or wrongly, when it came to agreeing to go to the next stage, I said I couldn't come to a particular um, selection or trial because it was on a, a, a Sunday morning. Now, I, I could tell you that story and say, well, wasn't that good? But I felt deeply, deeply ashamed. of the fact that I was a Christian. Here's another scenario which will be familiar to us. Perhaps some of you who are uh, undergrads, you're out for a night. It's great fun, great banter, all the rest of it. And then the conversation gets on to Christians. And somebody in your group says, I'm a Christian. And boom, the target comes to him. And you sit there, you just sit there and you say nothing Because, well, in some ways you feel ashamed. That's just normal. It's real. Or let's go to those of us who are perhaps older. In leadership in churches, what do you do when words of the Apostle Paul in relation to all manner of things in the Christian life are just so out of step with the culture? We can feel really ashamed, and we go silent. 
let's read this very helpful passage on what is normal for Christians to struggle with. We need to understand this letter as normal. Therefore, verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware, Timothy, that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. When he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know, Timothy, all the service he rendered at Ephesus. And then the next verse, you then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now let's pray for honesty and for God's help. Let's do that now. Our Father, we confess that there are times for all of us as Christians when we are ashamed. Times when we keep silent rather than speak up as Christians. Times when we distance ourselves from the clear teaching of the Bible. Times when it's so hard we let Jesus down. Help us to be honest about that, asking for your forgiveness as we do now. We're sorry for the times we've been ashamed as Christians. Please help us not to be ashamed and to stand up for Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Now, as we prayed and as I shared, I want you to recall in your minds a situation when you have been ashamed as a Christian. Perhaps you have been out with some friends and one of them is having a go at Christians. You just listen and keep silent. Or maybe a discussion about ethics and morality, some of the contemporary topics of our day, and you have something to say as a Christian, but you're ashamed to say it. Or someone questions you as a Christian and you try and respond, you try and be faithful to the Lord Jesus. You do speak, but you feel ashamed. Telling people for the first time you are a Christian, people you work with, live with or study with, people you play sport with, how do you feel when you do that? Slightly embarrassed? Maybe even ashamed? Many of us have been there. And let me underscore this. It's not because we are especially weak as Christians. 
It's because we're normal. Timothy was ashamed. And Timothy was no weak Christian. Paul's right-hand man. His troubleshooting minister for the toughest assignments. His co-author of numerous letters. Now leader of the church in Ephesus. And Timothy is ashamed. There is a kind of comfort in that when we feel ashamed. So do the best. Therefore, Paul writes, Timothy, do not be ashamed. The word therefore assumes a preceding argument. Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. Verse 3 of chapter 1, he thanks God for him. Verse 4, he expresses his love for him, acknowledging that they have been through a lot together. Verse 5, he reminds Timothy of a sincere faith, the heritage behind him, his mom, his gran, and the real living faith that Timothy now has. And then Paul encourages him, verse 6, to fan into flame the gifts God has given him, his gifts for ministry. Get back, Timothy, Paul says, to do what God has gifted you to do and set you apart to do. Because, verse 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. God has given you a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, verse 8, do not be ashamed. Of what? Well, Paul spells it out. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of, about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, but share in suffering. Now, what is the testimony about our Lord? Or we might translate it as the teaching about our Lord. Paul is referring here to his teaching along with the other apostles. The apostles had a unique role in the history of the church. They are Jesus' appointed representatives to speak and write down his words. Their words are inspired by Jesus. Their words are Jesus' words. And that's why Paul refers to the testimony about our Lord. Theirs, the apostles, is the testimony. It is the authoritative, true testimony about Jesus. How do we know that? Earlier this year, we studied the book of Acts. Luke's eyewitness, historical account of the early church. We saw how Jesus performed miracles through the apostles to establish their authority as the ones given the responsibility to speak on Jesus' behalf. Their words are Jesus' words. There is no authority apart from him. Now, Timothy may be tempted. We may be tempted. Any of us enticed or seduced by other forms of teaching about the Lord Jesus, a different gospel, a different body of ethical teaching perhaps, but it's not the true testimony about our Lord. 
Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony, the teaching about our Lord. And that question is one for us to ask of ourselves. Are we, are we ashamed? Take the simple gospel that no one is righteous apart from the righteousness we are given in Jesus. That Jesus saves us from eternal judgment by bearing the wrath of God in our place. That we were dead till God made us alive. That we have been saved by grace, not our own doing, the gift of God. And that Christ died for our sins and the call is to repent and believe. That's what the apostles say the gospel is. It is written in the pages of the New Testament. That is what the gospel is. There is no other gospel. Paul says to Timothy and us, don't be ashamed of it. And many in the church are. Many have moved on from the Apostle Paul to some other gospel. But it's no gospel because Paul's gospel is Jesus' gospel. Or what of the apostles' ethical and moral teaching about the Christian life? So much of that is Paul's teaching in the New Testament, for example, on marriage and sexuality. Are we ashamed of it? I mean, you wouldn't be ashamed of it in a culture which was essentially Christian. But now that it's not, many who would call themselves Christians are ashamed of Paul's teaching on marriage. Maybe they wouldn't say it as overtly as that, but they certainly would distance themselves from it or ignore it. Many disregard it. Many then did. Many now do. Don't be ashamed. Timothy, Paul says, of the testimony or teaching about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed of me, Paul says, the Lord's prisoner. Don't be ashamed to associate with those who suffer for the gospel. Don't be ashamed to associate with those who are willing to speak up or speak out for Jesus and are willing to take the consequences, the opposition, and the antagonism. Think back to that scenario when somebody else is kind of targeted as a Christian and you keep silent. That's what it, it, it means. Don't be ashamed to identify yourself with those who suffer for the gospel. Don't stay in the background. Don't, if you're a, a grown-up or part of a church or in the leadership of the church, don't lightly say something like, the Lord has called me to say nothing. The Lord has told me to keep my head down. Or I'll keep my distance from Paul and others who stand with him for now because God might be calling me to a position of influence. Then I'll speak out. But when that position of influence comes, they never do. The price is our silence. 
Or at best, a watered-down message that doesn't do much good to anyone. Though people love to listen. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, we're not to seek suffering. We're not masochists. Just inevitable when you stand for truth. When you are not ashamed of the testimony about the Lord Jesus, we don't seek it. That's daft. We just don't duck it when it comes. Not suffering like the Apostle Paul endured. Remember, he is writing from prison. Though if that happened to some of our partners around the world, and it might, it might well, we would stand with them, wouldn't we? And if need be to go to them, But in every context, there is suffering for the gospel. As soon as we do evangelism, we meet with antagonism. We're asked questions about what Christians believe and are ridiculed when we answer. My answers always sound so weak. And I feel so weak when I answer. But remember, the, 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 the gospel manifests itself in our weakness and in God's power Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Notice Paul doesn't say suffer for the gospel by the power of God. He puts that wonderful uh, word in share. Do not suffer alone. You don't. We suffer with our fellow Christians. We suffer with the apostles. We suffer with the Lord Jesus. And so we suffer by the power of God. Not just the power of God sustaining us as we suffer for the gospel, but the power of God enabling us to suffer for the gospel, even the power of God granting to us as a grace gift the privilege of suffering or being counted worthy to suffer with Jesus. That's what Paul wrote to the Philippians. It has been granted to you as a gift suffer with Jesus. Why was Timothy ashamed? Let's just go back to normalizing Timothy. Why was Timothy ashamed? Because it's hard, because it's tough, and not because he was weak. He's not. He's just normal. Now, verses 9 to 12 are here as a great blessing and encouragement to us. They're wonderful verses. Just notice, having said to Timothy, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed, Timothy. He gets onto this ground, 9 and 10. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, you've just heard, as I have heard in my heart, in my life, don't be ashamed. Now listen to this. God has saved you and set us apart. He has called you to a holy calling. 
What God has done in our lives through Jesus is wonderful. Now, just uh, let me just uh, put a, a blocker up if you're going around the wrong siding here. Paul's not going to get to the fact, he's done all that for you, so come on, you do that for him. He's going to convince you that God is at work in you, God is with you, and that Jesus understands. What God has done is out of his mercy. He has given us salvation in Jesus. That has been his purpose from eternity. It has happened through Jesus appearing in his flesh as a man on the earth. Jesus has abolished death and he gives life, new life now and immortality, everlasting life. He has brought that to light through the gospel and all of that is true for you as a Christian, as much as it were true for Timothy and the Apostle Paul. All of us have all of the blessings. All of us have all of Christ available to us in the person of his Spirit indwelling us. For which I, verse 11, was appointed a preacher, an apostle and teacher which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. For which, by that he means the salvation of people, I, Paul, was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher by Jesus. For which, the salvation of people, every single one of us, God has privileged and appointed to be a teller of the truth of Jesus. Paul's words and those of the apostles are Jesus' words. Paul's gospel is Jesus' gospel. Paul's teaching about the Christian life, about the local church, along with the other apostles, is Jesus' teaching. And Jesus calls us all to speak his message which is why I suffer as I do. You see, when you speak the gospel and when you speak and teach and hold by all of the New Testament's teaching on the Christian life, unless you live in a particular part of the world at a particular point in history when the vast majority of people are Christians, you will suffer. But I am not ashamed, Paul says. Not ashamed of what? A much better question is not ashamed of who? Jesus. Jesus' teaching and Jesus and his suffering. Paul is not ashamed of Jesus. And that's in the last analysis where we get to be ashamed of Paul's words or to be ashamed of Jesus' words. To be ashamed of Paul is to be ashamed of Jesus. To be ashamed to associate with those who suffer for the gospel is to be ashamed of Jesus. Are you ashamed of Paul? The real question is, are you ashamed of Jesus? 
Now, that is not, don't go down that wrong siding again, not to, to put up a, a kind of great big rod on your back saying, are you ashamed of Jesus? Why are you ashamed of Jesus? We've got to get to Jesus because it's him. It's him and our love for him and his indwelling in us by the Spirit that is why we need not be ashamed. Just turn with me in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. The page reference is 844. It's a great uh, little section in Mark's Gospel. Let's read from verse 31 of Mark 8, just uh, reading in. We're on page 844. Jesus began to teach them, the uh, disciples, the apostles, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, and he said this plainly, and Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, Get me behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on the things of God, not on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, gosh, that must have stung Peter. Verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Then this, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in his glory of his Father and the holy angels. Now, they are extraordinarily strong words and challenging words from the Lord Jesus, and he is speaking about every Christian. If anyone would come after me, this is normal Christianity. It is a demanding call, but it's normal. But notice in Mark's account what Jesus does next. I mean, if you had heard that, and of course, Peter very soon is going to deny Jesus. You need an encouragement. You need to see Jesus for who he is. So what does Jesus do? In Mark 9, he takes Peter, James, and John, the three disciples that are struggling the most. He takes them up on the mountain, and he is transfigured before them. The man that they know as Jesus, the teacher, flesh and blood, becomes transfigured in all of his glory. The reigning son of man. And then God breaks into the scene and he says, listen to him. Listen to what? If anyone is ashamed of me. In this adulterous and sinful generation, I will be ashamed of him when I come in my Father's glory. And what helps me, what helps us not to be ashamed of Jesus is to picture Jesus in our minds in all of his glory and majesty. And remember that he is my Savior and that he has saved me and that he lives in me by his Holy Spirit. Now back to 2 Timothy Paul wants to encourage Timothy and us 
by focusing our hearts on Jesus, and he has done that. And then he has this wonderful statement of conviction. What a great verse it is. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I know, Timothy, that you're hearing all this stuff. You're being tempted. You're being pulled in all these directions. But Timothy, I focused you back on the Lord Jesus. Let me say this to you about the Lord Jesus. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced. I know I am convinced. They are certainty words. It's what Timothy needs to hear. I know God, the Lord Jesus. It's them I have believed in. It's Jesus' teaching I believe in. Remember, Timothy is surrounded by these false teachers and false teaching in Ephesus. And they're saying, come on, Timothy, you've got to move on from the Apostle Paul. This gets you into hot water. Paul's teaching is gospel, his ethical teaching. And Paul has convinced Timothy and us that his teaching with the apostles is Jesus' teaching. And so Timothy now is being brought back to the fact that he's not going to desert Jesus. That's the last analysis. Paul says to Timothy, it's Jesus I know. It's Jesus you know. I am convinced that Jesus will guard his own words until he comes again. And people will come along in every generation and they'll try and move us on from his words and his teaching. But I am convinced that the Lord Jesus is able to guard until that day when he returns what has been entrusted to me. Paul is convicted in the power and in the ability of the Lord Jesus to guard his gospel, his teaching, that he is entrusted to Paul until that day. And that day is not the end of Paul's life. It is the end of this age and the dawn of the new creation. Verses 13 and 14 are a summary of verses 8 to 12. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me. And that is just another way of describing the testimony about our Lord in verse 8 and the suffering that those who teach Jesus' words experience. The pattern of the sound words is not simply the words themselves, but the life of the teacher. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me. One small difference from verse 8, Paul is more personal to Timothy. The pattern of sound words that you heard from me, your father in the faith. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's a summary of verses 9 and 10. And verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. The good deposit is the apostles' teaching about Jesus, the true gospel. Guard it. Timothy, it's been entrusted to you. You see Paul's logic. Jesus will guard his teaching, his gospel entrusted to Paul. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, will guard the good deposit entrusted to Timothy. And just one tiny detail, the use of the pronouns us and you. 
not me and I. We are in this together, Timothy. The Holy Spirit that lives in us. I've fought the fight, Timothy. I've run the race. It's your turn. Look to me, yes, but look to Jesus. The King of glory. You've no reason to be ashamed. You have the most wonderful, wonderful news to tell. He has done extraordinarily wonderful things in your life. His words will last to eternity. Others will come and go. They will throw stones at you. They will mock you. Words hurt the most. For they will not change the truth. And then to close these very few verses where Paul gives us some examples. There's a wonderful letter, this. Real, it's true. And here are some real examples. You are aware, Timothy, that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. When he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered. Uh, they're extraordinary verses. These people's names recorded in Scripture as examples. He begins with a negative, then a positive. All the way through, he is speaking about people Timothy knows. The beginning of verse 15, you are aware, Timothy. At the end of verse 18, when he's talking about Onesiphorus, and you know well, Timothy, all the service that he has done. These are people Paul and Timothy know well. Ministry colleagues of Paul and Timothy Or think of a CU, people who all sat on a committee together at one time. Or people who were all in a small group at church, encouraging each other to go on with the Lord at one time. And then it got tough. And Paul says, all who are in Asia turned away from me, deserted me. I don't think he's saying that every Christian in Asia has turned away from Jesus. But lots have, lots have, lots of Paul and Timothy's colleagues as Christian leaders. And Paul mentions two deeply painful for him, Phygelus and Hermogenes, these two guys who were just great in the small group, these two guys who were just inspiring when they were on the exec of the CU. And then in sharp contrast, Onesiphorus and his household. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. When he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered uh, at Ephesus. What a blessing Onesiphorus and his household were to Paul, not ashamed of Paul and his chains, not ashamed of the Lord Jesus. And Timothy, you know yourself what Onesiphorus is like from his service in the church in Ephesus. I was listening, I was reading a, 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 one of the books on, on Timothy this week, and 
There's a wonderful section in it to help you appreciate the logic in Paul's mind as he appeals to Timothy in this letter. You know, I remind you, Timothy, uh, don't be ashamed. You're aware that they deserted me. Uh, remember, on a, what about you? What's well, wonderful grammatical logic, but it's not the logic in his mind. It's, it's, it's an emotional logic in his heart. Timothy, Timothy. You know, we've been through a lot, Timothy. I recall your tears. Maybe that was after you came back from Corinth. That was a tough assignment, Paul. Timothy, your mother, your grandmother, that's not sentiment. Thank God, those of us who have praying mothers and praying grandmothers. Timothy, you have real faith. It's genuine. Timothy, remember that day when you were set apart, you were given that job to do. Fan into flame the gift of God that you were given. Do what you are gifted to do again. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. Timothy, you know that everybody in Asia has left me, has left my side. They're ashamed of me and Jesus and the gospel. But Onesiphorus, you know, you've seen him. He's with you in Ephesus. And then he leans into chapter 2, verse 1. But you, Timothy, be strengthened by the grace of God. And he's not saying to Timothy, I might got this a bit wrong last week. He's not saying to Timothy, but what about you? Come on, Timothy. He's taking a hold of Timothy, who is wobbling, and he's saying to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is yours in Christ. And the person that should be before our eyes in these verses is not Paul and not Timothy, but the Lord Jesus. And when we understand him and what he endured for us and that he understands and that he is the king of glory and that his words will never, ever fade away, And we are strengthened in his power. Then, when these real life situations come along, we will not be ashamed. We will not be ashamed. Because our love for Jesus burns so strongly, and his love for us burns so strongly. Do not be ashamed. There is no need. He is your Lord. He is your king, and his grace will be all you need. Timothy, any of us, my child, God said, be strengthened by the grace that is yours in Jesus Christ, and, and thereby do not be ashamed of me in this adulterous and wicked generation. Do not be ashamed of me, for I am your Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be uh, to the fore in our minds and hearts as we face the challenges of living as Christians in a tough, tough environment. 
May the Spirit of the living Jesus move us and lead us and enable us and strengthen us so that we are not ashamed. For Jesus' sake, amen.